Hey team, welcome to episode eight of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Christy and Charles here. What's up? What's up? We'd be amiss if we didn't talk about some of the negative things that can happen. We're usually generally pretty positive people, right? What? They're, they're not all perfect? <laughs> they're not all perfect. Bad things can happen in the transition process. And so today we're going to talk about mistakes we've seen, some potential buyers, um, and even some new owners make. There's always a positive from the negative, though. So we're going to give you what we think you should do differently to try and avoid some of those mistakes. So, so, so are the buyers making mistakes here? Are the sellers making mistakes? Who's making mistakes? in this process. Today, we're going to talk about buyers okay. making mistakes, okay. but trust me, there is an episode on seller mistakes. We can okay. talk about those later. Okay. <laughs> so what's going on? Uh, just a normal family week. Uh, kids are about ready to go back to school. Let's see. Uh, the wife and I got some family in town, so just just normal week, nothing nothing too exciting. Look, what's what's up with you and the girls? Same here. Finishing up a bathroom remodel. So if you want to talk about mistakes of a homeowner <laughs> renovation, we can have another podcast episode about that. Yes. But we are we're good and just tail end of summer and hoping all continues you as survived. going. I survived. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's dive in today. So as a new buyer, um, there are many ways you can derail the process. Yes. Right. And we've seen quite a few. And we talked about this and we alluded to this on episode seven. What is the, you think the number one mistake? Yeah. So like any relationship, it's just that, just that communication. And so I like stories, I'm an analogy guy, but I'll just tell you a story here. So we've got a practice uh, we had listed major Metro city in state of Texas, high, high demand uh, for this practice. And this young man has built an amazing relationship. We, we uh, screened it down to, I think six or seven candidates the relationship was great between he and the seller, and um, the connection was just awesome. And the senior doctor was just like, I love this guy, it's awesome, it's great. And it took three weeks to get the letter of intent, okay? And then uh, during the three weeks, this is the amount of communication that he had with her. So you can't see me, but this is a big zero. Goose egg. I'm, goose egg I'm holding up. And so it's just ball drop number one. You've got to stay in communication with it. So we anxiously await this letter of intent. And then this buyer proceeds to send us a letter of intent. And the price, I'll just throw out the number, was call it a million dollars. So instead of offering a million dollars, he offered 800000 There was no justification of why the price was less. And he also, one of the line items was that 100% of the purchase price would be allocated to furniture, fixtures, and goodwill. It's just, it's not possible. Even from furniture, Iowa fixtures. Furniture, fixtures, yes. Right, no goodwill. No goodwill. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. my correction. <laughs> God, that's why you're the detail person. You're so good. So yes, he literally allocated zero dollars yeah. to goodwill. And, yeah. and, and again, I guess someone had advised him that you get better benefit uh, as a buyer uh, on the furnitures and, and fixtures, and that's absolutely correct, but it's just it's just not traditional, nor did it fly by the seller uh, or the IRS. So, you, you know, this guy just surrounded himself with maybe a team, in this case, an attorney that didn't understand normal dental transitions, and it was just, we already knew. So yeah. this would represent the seller in this example that it's almost like we didn't want to work with him anymore because you could see he just didn't have a really good team, and his lack of communication was there. So. Yeah. Communication, communication. So yeah, and remembering that this is um, a professional transaction, right? But it is a personal transition, and the seller and buyer, the seller, I think, always wants to remember 
who they're transitioning to and what they're doing. And you want to maintain your persona as Dr. Smith, not buyer A and buyer B. Um, And maintaining that, I think, adds adds a level to the negotiations, even though. Yeah. And and just if this doctor was really a front runner on the personal side, he nailed it out of the park that first, you know, a couple of phone calls, but then he just dropped the ball after that. You just can't do it. It's like a first date that went awesome, but you didn't, you know, communicate with that date. And two weeks later, I mean, they're going to drop you. And so I think that alludes to actually another kind of mistake, which is not knowing how to deliver bad news. And so in the same scenario you just explained, there's also there was bad news in that letter of intent that we received. And so let's talk about not knowing how to deliver bad news, because there are going to be times as a buyer and you're going to submit a letter of intent that is not full asking price with everything the seller wants. Right. I mean, this is the real world. And there might be reasons for those things. So how have we seen buyers just not give the bad news the right way? Well, let's talk about the the, the right way. I had never heard this term, so this maybe just puts me on, you know, one in a a billion, but I was trying to give advice to a good friend of mine, uh, Hilton, on on how to communicate with a a new hire. And I'm like, you've got to get the positive and then you can tell the negative and then you you can get the sandwich. You got to sandwich it. I was like, I never heard that term. See, you, you got to sandwich. You got to put that. You got to put that bad, you know, in with the good. And so, in this example, if I was coaching this young man of how to deliver, I want to pay less than the million dollars. This example, you know, uh, eight hundred thousand. What I would have done in that scenario, what I would have talked about all the positive in the practice, but I've also would have put together some type of justification of why we're offering less. It maybe the example was uh, we've got outdated equipment. Maybe we've got declining revenues. Maybe we've got uh, something. You know, give me some justification here on the financials in this business and how it's valued. But why this thing would would be less? And where did you come up with this number? Mm-hmm. And then show some other give there that you're willing to do the following, and you'll do whatever it takes, and you really want this to happen. And you're even asking, I'd even say the broker, uh, how do you communicate that, you know, to the seller? But, you know, keeping that relationship with them uh, is so important so that when you do have that negative news that you can deliver it in that sandwich. Yes, always the sandwich. (laughs) And I think here, maybe there isn't a specific reason why you're offering less. Maybe the reason is it's overpriced. Right. Maybe it's priced at 97% of the market um, or the collections, and we know the average is, you know, around the max average is around 85. If it's not in a geographical market where maybe that premium makes sense, the communication can still happen. It can still be, you know, I've hired some people to look at this. I've talked to lenders. I've done this. I've talked to people who have bought practices. And based on what I've seen, the average practice goes for somewhere between 55 and 85% of collections. And this is priced at 97%. And while I think there's tremendous value in this practice and I love it, I have a hard time offering such a premium. And so therefore I've put my offer in at this and I've also offered X, Y, and Z. And I think, you know, I, I'm looking forward to hearing and I'm excited about the opportunity. That's a sandwich. So it's a sandwich. It's, yes. it's, it's the positive and the negative and then the positive and also, right. you know, expressing like that it was really a thought process that went into the offer and it wasn't just a, Hey, I'm going to randomly pick a number and I want to nickel and dime you to make it less than the full asking. It's one of the things I really pride ourselves at what our team does and that the team that you lead, Christy, is just to be able to 
to look at the financials of these practices, to be able to see uh, what their uh, what the opportunity is, what the cash flows are uh, dictating, what the valuation would be if we were to value the business. So when we do see that uh, this business might be valued less, that we at least arm that candidate with that information. Yes, I'm working with a dental CP firm. This is what they do. They value 100 plus practices. They've done this, they've done this, and this is why I'm offering. So, uh, and, and also to remember, there are three parties to the transaction. There's the buyer, the seller, and the bank. And ultimately the bank uh, is gonna be the one that is gonna look at this and say this is what they're willing to lend. So it's always kind of a nice, kind of third party person that's saying that this makes sense uh, of what they're willing to lend. This makes sense of what I'm willing to pay for it. Absolutely. Okay. So another mistake, uh, moving on to third mistake, All right. failed management of your people, okay. of your team. So in episode seven, we talked about the people that you might have on your team in the letter of intent process or just really throughout the transition process, right? right? And we talked about buyer, seller, that we talked about um, attorneys for buyer and seller, the yes. lender, um, accountants, CPAs, advisors, a lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot of people. A mistake I think that we see buyers make is ultimately what matters, buyer and seller relationship, okay? If a buyer or a seller has advisors on their team who have not been given the proper direction or the proper guidance of this is my person, don't mess it up, this is what I want. If they haven't been given that direction, we have seen deals go south and go south quickly, even if it was not the result of something the buyer actually did Mm -hmm. himself or the seller actually did. Mm -hmm. And so I can give you one example from a a seller that we've recently been working with. So buyer um, has people on his team, and one of those people wasn't even on the list earlier we spoke about. It was someone for the building. They were going to be purchasing the building. Right. So they had hired a real estate advisor. And that real estate advisor, for lack of better words, was not <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. So we'll say not nice. Christy's buying her lip right here. She's his lip. communication style, and when you reply all and multiple people are on emails, um, frankly, became really offensive yes. and was very harsh. And whether or not it was the email and, and just the, the lack of being able to decipher emails, it went to the point of saying, hey, you guys are trying to slip things in for the buyer and right. being unethical. You know, the seller saw these communications and said, hey, I'm not sure that I want to work with someone who is engaging someone like this. Exactly. Luckily, though, See, there's a good side to every bad story. Because the buyer and seller had such a great relationship, the seller was able to go to the buyer and say, look, you have to like quit. This has to right. stop or I can't move forward. Um, this is making me nervous. Right. And the buyer was smart enough to also acknowledge that yes. um, and release that person back into the wild uh, off of his team. Um, and, you know, now the seller and buyer are happy. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the intent of both the seller and buyer and what they were trying to develop won out there. Yeah. But we've seen not so happy endings on that. We've seen people part ways because of that. Um, and, and we we get it. I mean, we understand that a buyer, uh, most often buyers aren't as knowledgeable or they are just trying to make sure they understand what's going on. Right. So they're trusting these people. Um, they're trusting the sellers, the team. You know, it's they just haven't developed their own team yet. Right. And once they develop their team, they can kind of, this one worked, that one doesn't work. So you, you keep replacing them. But over time, you know, hopefully you're a, you've been in a practice 20, you should have a good team assembled. So what we're trying to do is educate you of how to develop, you know, that team. And so can I make a comment yeah. about this? So 
So look, this this is to you, buyer. This is to you, seller. As you're listening to this, the people that you surround yourself, it's a hundred percent direct reflection on you. So if you got some real estate attorney or some real estate this or some bank or some uh, you know accountant financial advisor and it's just wrecking the deal it's a reflection on you I mean mm-hmm. it's when you go to the grocery store and you see two or three kids just running around and just with their head cut off I mean I personally I don't look at that as being a bad kid I'm looking for the parent and I'm like what is going on there <laughs> you know so I'm judging now like you're parenting you know and so you just have to think about the team you surround yourself because it's 100% reflection on you so just just, just be really cognizant about that team and mm-hmm. what they say and uh, be able to control that communication, which is the number one thing of keeping this thing. Because it's just, it, it, this thing is so just volatile. The thing is about ready to blow up and it's going to fail to, you know, it, it's on this great projector and it's one little bad thing and just the whole thing falls yeah. apart. Yeah, I mean, because again, it goes back to this is a transaction and it's a business transaction, but there's a lot of emotions yes. running underneath. And so it doesn't take a lot to upheaval the train and and make it come off the track. So again, keep your advisors and your your team. Make sure you are in charge of that. Make sure you're saying, don't screw this deal up for me. And being asked to be copied on all the communications so that you can see what's happening. Okay. So shifting away a little bit. So another issue that we see, um, and this is kind of our final one in the diligence section, but oftentimes, and this is again, because of the emotion of something getting caught up when buyers or sellers, this happens equally on both sides, buyer seller gets caught up in something immaterial. Yes. Um, and they cannot see the forest for the trees. Um, and it's just, they let emotion take hold and they cannot kind of move past Past it, it feels right. like an injustice for whatever reason. This one thing that right. they won't let go of. Right, right. Um, give me kind of give, give me give me an example that you. I know you've dealt with this recently. Okay, so you know, listen, you buy practices. You know, there's there's price. Mm-hmm. There's the asset allocation. We yep. talked about the hundred percent allocation to the furniture fixtures. That didn't make sense. Uh, you've got the details, small details of are we renting? Uh, yes. So immaterial things is going market rate is uh, twenty dollars a foot. And this landlord is asking you to pay $22 a foot. It's 2,000 square feet. It's going to cost you a couple of thousand dollars, okay, a year. It's immaterial when we're talking about a business you're going to buy that does a million dollars and nets 400,000. If your net result is you're going to make 398,000 or 396,000 or 394,000, whatever the number is, it is immaterial we got to move past those small things. Now, obviously, it's our job, and I think it's your job as somebody who's going to buy a business, is to look at all of the small little pieces and the big pieces, but to understand what you're buying is those active patients. You're buying the cash flow. You're buying the business that has the potential to not just be doing 600 or 700, but you know, grow the practice to eight, nine, and two million. So keep keep the eye you know, on on the prize. Uh, well, I don't like the way, you know, the retreatment clauses on paragraph eight because, you know, he didn't do or she didn't do good crowds. I'm worried about, you know, doing those crowds and I want him or her to come back in here. Really? You just told me that you don't like the yeah. clinical skills. You want him or her back in there? No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. And even something that is material 
depending on how long it's material for. So let's say it's uh, the work back for the seller, Perfect. right? And they it's a per diem situation, right? So pediatric, ortho, something like that. And they want, I don't know, $2,000 a day. And the standard is only $1,500. I mean, right. $500 difference. That's, right. a, that's a big difference, right? Right. What if the seller's only going to work for 15 days or right. 20 days, right? right. Get um, it. Yeah. You're, you're going to pay more and you're going to pay a premium and you're going to bite your lip and you're going to do it with a smile because you know on the flip side of that, the seller's not going to be there any longer and you're going to have all that cash flow back and that's the purpose. Yes. So, you know, there are always extenuating circumstances of a lease is $10 a square foot and they want to charge you 35 Well, yeah. th- that's material. That's yeah. not what we're talking about here. It's more, let's run the numbers, see how material it is, and then move on. Yeah. I give you this made me think of a story. I got a buddy, uh, Drew. I helped him buy a business many years ago, and I helped him give his sales pitch of how he was going to buy this business. And the senior doctor wanted him to buy into the business at a long period of time, like over seven years. So I came back to Drew. It's like we got to buy this thing sooner. And so I pitched him plan of how we're going to buy in, you know, over a three year period. And one of the the details was he. I think he was offered like I don't know thousand bucks a day or something like that. And so I came back and said, Drew, I want you to offer your services at 700 a day, and I want you to work for two days at 700 a day, and the third day you're going to work for free. He's like, why would you do that? I was like, because we want to buy the business, and this is the cash flow. This is how it's going to work over the seven-year period. And part of the other pitch was, is, hey, Dr. Seller, when you retire, I'm going to pay you twice as much as you paid me. So I, you know, I'm going to now pay you. 1400 bucks a day. So you couldn't get caught in the details like what you just brought up, which is the maybe the high amount on them working back for yeah. you. Uh, maybe it's the low amount yeah. that you work for them. Absolutely. So that you get to buy the business yeah. sooner than later. Always the goal. Yep, be yep. an owner. So, okay, biggest offenders during the diligence period. Um, there are plenty of financial decisions a buyer can make once they take over. Yes. We're not as privy to those um, at NDP because we obviously work to help you buy the business. But we do hear from sellers after yes. we've helped a seller with a buyer buying their business and kind of some mistakes that that seller has seen the buyer make. Right. Um, and so right. I'm going to touch on some of those. Obviously, number one, and this is, I think, just due to sellers have older businesses, Typical, maybe haven't yeah. kept up with technology. So a buyer comes in and they want to change the technology. Right. They want to make it digital. They want to go computerized. They want to go switch from paper charts to paperless. All good things that we think you need to do. Yes. You don't need to do them day two after you close. Agreed. Right? And the reason for that is the staff is not accustomed to that. Right. So you're the new guy or gal coming in. Now you're changing everything. Now all the processes are changing, and they're dealing with a lot of change at once. So changing technology, you want to do it. You want to plan for it. You want to know it's going to happen. But can we, you know, can we make, can we not do that day two? Can we wait and do that? Maybe starting slowly transition it over the first three or four or five months. Right. And I think that that's more well received. Well, when you talk to dental consultants, so the dental consultants were on the financial side, but more on the practice management side. Um, So these are groups that are going to help you with the systems, uh, help you with, you know, just the collections and marketing, branding. These are all, you know, now as an owner, you're kind of surrounding yourself with maybe a consultant that can guide you through those things. Uh, they're going to tell you not to make major changes out of the gate. Now, my advice is not to make the major changes, you know, out of the gate, but my advice is to make sure you get your team involved. You know, so now that I'm there, I'm interviewing, I'm getting to know my, my team members that are yep. absolutely just like key people. I can see the ones that, um, you know, maybe... 
out of the six people, I've got one that is is on the short list of not going to be there. Not ready to rock the boat just yet, Yep. but um, building kind of those relationships. But I'm also talking about getting them involved with the technology change, getting them involved with systems, getting them involved with if, if, uh, equipment and chair and, and hand pieces and CE courses. Yep. And I want to get them involved with these decisions and make it to where they feel they're equal in this. So if I'm hiring a consultant, for example, uh, that's going to make these changes. I want them to be interviewed by that consultant and for us as a team after the consultant leaves, review the changes that are going to grow the business and, and make positive changes uh, and then that we decide this together. I also think it's important that if you show someone that they're going to have to work harder or do something different, you know, it's obviously that's what you're doing. You're buying a business and think of it as a stock. You want your stock to stay flat or do you want it to grow? You want it to grow. That's what you're investing in. So if you're going to make people work harder, you've got to have a vision for them. You got to show them. You got to now show what's in it for them. Yep. That could be in benefits. It could be on healthcare. It could be a 401k and profit sharing plan. It could be a, a a cruise that they take. You're going to have to put something out there so that you can get people to work harder for you. Yeah. Let's not put fast just simple gratitude and yes. thankfulness like as, as a benefit that some staff members really appreciate just being acknowledged and, right. and, and grateful for that. And so that leads to one of our other, you touched on practice consultants. Right. Um, I'm assuming you don't mean bringing those in right out of the gate either. Not right? out of the gate. Okay. I think that it's important that you're discussing that obviously there's going to be some changes in the future, but you're not looking to rock the boat now, but you are looking to bring in just professionals that specialize in dentistry that can help us yep. grow the business and us help and we. us, uh, you know, make it, make it more, more efficient. So the dictator that comes in and just says, we're moving all these things and this is why, it's not going to be smooth. And we've seen that. Oh, yeah, we have. And the staff also is oftentimes a change that, that buyers sometimes come in and make. And sometimes it's a needed change. Again, it's timing of those changes, yep. right? So either you have, maybe you have too many staff, maybe you have overpaid staff, maybe you have staff that just have a bad attitude and right. don't like change and don't want you and um, whatever that might be. But it's important that you get in there and you start beginning to understand those relationships. Yes. Are Susie and Mary related? And if Susie goes away, so does Mary. And right. Mary is your key person because right. she has all the relationships. Um, your staff are your front line with your patients. Yes. And so you have to come in as a business owner, be smart about it, understand how those relationships work and who is doing what. You know, maybe there is someone who needs to go for the greater of the, of the overall practice yes. good. You know, again, always exceptions to this rule, but generally... You're going to go in and you're going to live with those staff for a minimum of three, hopefully six months, if not more, and, and really know that before you make those changes. Recapping here, we just really want, you know, on the on the acquisition of these businesses, once you are the owner, is let's make uh, slow changes, be thoughtful, and get your, your team uh, around implementing all of this because it's your team that's going to make this thing, you know, successful. Absolutely. Um, teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> I said that to my children last night. So I think, I know, I know. So I think some of these things are absolutely no brainers, but I think the stress and the newness of being an owner and all the weight of the debt and I just bought this big thing and now it all rides on me sometimes is to blame for some of these errors, right? right? Um, Lapses of judgment. Um, So surround yourself with people who know dentistry, surround yourself with a team of experienced professionals um, and in all facets, right? If you don't, if you're not the 
expert on it, find someone who is and, and make yourself a better team to hopefully avoid some of these changes. Yes. Keep that communication alive. Make it personal. I've never heard one time where the seller uh, I'm consulting with says, this buyer is contacting me too much and asking me too many personal questions. Okay. (laughs) Established old guys and old gals, uh, you know, even 10 years, 15 years into the business, they have so much wealth and knowledge. It's so personal. They want to share these stories. So the more that you can ask them about this vision and how this is all going to work, the better. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm really glad to have this one out of the way. Yeah. I hate negative stuff. <laughs> Thanks Back for to li- positive next week. Back to positive okay, next week. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember to subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. It's the easiest way to know when we release new episodes. So uh, have a great week and until next time. All right. Thanks, guys.